Berg, A Music War, and My Copyright Nightmare, today on Cinema Oblivia. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on movies that are weird, hard to find, out of print, or will get you in litigious situations with major studios. Hello, I am your host once again, James Eldred, and who do I have back with me for another episode? Uh, my name is Alex Navarro. I am currently with a uh, a group called Nextlander, and I uh, there's nothing on this earth I love more than being sued by bands or movie studios, so I'm very happy to be here. All right. Yes. Alex, thank you for coming back. I think both of our lives have changed tremendously since the last time you were on this podcast. That is um, very accurate. I was going through some upheaval at the time. Yes, I got you beat, but uh, let's not let's not have that competition. But yeah, I, I appreciate you coming to talk about this movie. Today we are talking about Erg, A Music War, a 1982 concert film produced by a lot of people, but mostly IRS records. And this is a movie that if you follow me on Twitter, and you should, you will know that I've been talking about this a lot recently for positive and negative reasons, which we'll, we'll get to. But I think, Alex, you had never seen this movie until I recommended it to you, correct? Not only had I never seen it, uh, until you started mentioning it on social media, I had never heard of it. Uh, I have heard of a number of the bands that are included in this. In fact, some of them I count among some of my favorite bands, uh, but I just did straight up did not know this thing existed. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. I didn't know about it for a long time. So I moved to Pittsburgh from I, I'm, I left Ohio like everyone does. And moved mm-hmm. to Pittsburgh like not most people do in like 04, 05. And there's a great record store there called Jerry's Records, and he had a copy of the soundtrack on vinyl. And I just thought it was a compilation, but I liked all the bands on it, and I bought it. And then I realized it was a live album, and then I realized it was a soundtrack, actual soundtrack. And I'm like, well, I'm never going to find this movie, but in, we still had a video store in that, on that same street, like across the street from Jerry's Records. There was a video store. Oh, that sounds like a dream. Oh, it was a dangerous... I mean, it was a good thing I had a job. And they had it. The video store was called Heads Together Video. It was called Heads Together because it used to be a head shop. Of course. And then it sold... Heads Together... There's a whole weird story with Heads Together. (laughs) I guess they were a head shop, and then they sold waterbeds. Okay, (laughs) sure. And and then... Natural transition. I don't... It's a weird store, man. Uh, great store, though. And so I, I found they had they had a VHS tape copy of it, and I rented that. And I knew at the time when I watched it, I'm like, this is never going to be in print ever again. So I think I bought an external video capture device solely to rip that movie off Amazing. VHS tape. And then not only did I, and also I had um, I still do this. Obviously, I I recorded the soundtrack to my computer. I recorded the audio from the VHS tape to my computer because there were songs in the tape that aren't in the in the soundtrack. And 
like this movie, this soundtrack really helped me get way more in the new wave than I already was at that point. At the time, I was really only into like Depeche Mode and New Order and Echo and the Bunnymen, but this really opened the floodgates for me to discover like eight billion fantastic acts from that era. And I would say I have bought so much music <laughs> because <laughs> of this movie. It, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, that's really the fascinating thing about it for me is that it is this time capsule of like new wave on the cusp. Like some of these bands had been around for a little bit. You know, some of them were, were relatively popular at the time when this came out. But like, there's also a smattering of bands in here that you could see, like, if they had signed a deal at the right time, if they had gotten the right push, maybe more would have happened. But some of these bands just straight up, like, disappeared not too long after this. One, Yeah, one of the bands dis- w- did not exist before or after it, which we'll get to them in a, later. That, yeah. That's a weird that's a weird one. But yeah, it is. I think it's really interesting because the movie came out in 82, but it was filmed in 1980. So yeah. you get a lot of these bands, a lot of these bands that became some of the biggest bands in the world, or at the very least, some of the most popular like underground bands before they even had a record out. And that's very, you know, the the music was picked by Miles Copeland, the, the founder of IRS Records, and the producer, Michael White. And they, I found one interview with him, and they'll, they basically said that they chose bands that they thought were interesting. And that's pretty much right. was the only only prerequisite so good on good taste <laughs> yeah by yeah. and large like I, I i there's there like i said there's some heavy hitters in here but like by and large i think most of the bands they found were good like there's some, some bands on here i think are not so great but like i can see why they ended up in there yeah do you want to go over now who's in this movie so let's not leave them hanging just yeah by all means let's just do the big list how about okay i'll just i'll just i'll go in order of appearance we have okay the Police, mm-hmm. Wall of Voodoo, Toya, John Cooper Clark, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, Chelsea, Boingo Boingo, Echo and the Bunnymen, Jules Holland, XTC, Claus Nomi. <laughs> How do you say this band? I'd say Atletico Spies 80. Atletico Spies or Spies 80. The yeah. Go-Go's, Dead Kennedys, Steel Pulse, Gary Newman. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Magazine, Surf Punks, oh boy, The Members, Our Pairs, The Cramps, something called Invisible Sex. Mm-hmm. Pear, is it Pear Ubu? I think it might be Perry Ubu. Perry, I've never heard anyone say it. So yeah, <laughs> there you know. go. We're just going to take a wild guess. Yeah, and I'm from Ohio. I said no. Um, speaking of Ohio, Devo, uh, mm-hmm. The Alley Cats, John Otway, Gang of Four, 999. The Flesh Tones, X, Scoffish, Splodgeness Abounds. I think that's how that comes out. I think out. that's close enough. UB40, and then again, The Police. So that is yeah. 35 performances, 36 songs, 34 bands. <laughs> that's a hell of a lineup. 124 minutes. Long movie. And yeah. there are variations of it. Which, which we'll get to. But I think the people who are responsible for this are also pretty interesting. The movie was, although it's kind of hard to find a lot about the production of this movie, I tried. Trust me, I've tried. I, mm-hmm. emailed, My- I emailed Miles Copeland's publisher. Like, <laughs> I went you, pretty you hard. Really, you went deep on this one. Oh, man. Every name, every name you're going to hear throughout this, if they're alive, I tried to contact them. So... 
the director's a guy named Derek Burbridge. Burbridge. He was mostly a music video director and concert director. He directed most po- most of the police videos. Okay. Yeah. He and um like he directed the video for every little thing she does is magic, messes mm-hmm. in a bottle, can't stand losing you. He directed Roxanne. Yeah. Uh, Teenage Kicks by The Undertones, Cars by Gary Newman. So a lot of um pretty big videos and some ACDC videos. I don't know how they got in there. But if you watch his videos, he has a real tendency to do like extreme close-ups. And I feel that comes across in the movie too. Yeah, like the, a lot of the a lot of the concert footage is shot like relatively close up. Like you'll get like wide shots of the bands, but that's usually just when they're kind of doing the intro title card. And then there's a lot of close up shots of the crowds too. Like you get like some real tight shots on some real good 1980 <laughs> circa LA new wave kids. I, I have seen this movie so many times. I recognize the audience. There's a guy with a mustache who is at the uh, concert where X, X is. And everyone around him is freaking out and yelling and screaming. And he's just kind of standing there like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely a guy I honed in on, too, because like, <laughs> it's just he has a very striking visage. I yeah. would love to see the uh, the heavy metal parking lot equivalent of this. Just like 11 minutes of finding out what is going on in the lives of these people. Oh, I want to know the av- like, what is the average Echo and a Buddy Man fan doing in 1980? Like that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, drugs, possibly, but <laughs> possibly it, it it is Liverpool. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, Derek Burbridge is still alive and has pretty much vanished. I have nobody. I have. I'm not the only person who's wanted to interview him, and nobody can find him. So okay, he's. I'm guessing that's probably on purpose. I would. I would imagine he's quite old at this point, also. So does that. Yeah. The movie was produced by Michael White, who was no longer with us. He was the. He produced the original. West End production of Rocky Horror. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, no, I look. I I have a history with Rocky Horror. I I used to work a crew on a uh, live action uh, Rocky Horror production, like one of those midnight. We play the movie and then people act it out in front of them, kind of thing. So, I've been to a bunch of Rocky Horror screenings over <laughs> the years. Like, I'm I'm not an obsessive or anything, but it's just it's one of those things that like, oh yeah, no, that's like a cultural touchstone for me. Yeah, I've been. I've seen it live. I, I've been to p- performances of it. I think twice, two or three times. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I do. I do love it. Michael White got no money from that because apparently he sold his rights to that when he was high as a kite. So, <laughs> amazing drugs. Um, yep. Yep. It's the seventies. Uh, somebody who didn't isn't is this an associate producer? But I kind of want to mention them. It's this woman named Lyndall Hobbs. Also tried to contact her. <laughs> she. She produced a short film called Steppin' Out, which is about the London club sh- scene. Uh, apparently, it features a very young boy, George, with 1979. So that'd be fascinating. So he also did some music videos. So he did videos for Chaka Khan and <laughs> Paul Jabara, who was the dude behind the village people. Um, okay, sure. <laughs> have you ever seen the Can't Stop the Music? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. His his character, his he, that's based on the that is the village people movie. And um, Steve Gutenberg basically plays him. Amazing. It's, it's, I own it. Anyway, uh, she did one. <laughs> I, I bought, I have bought. Of course you do. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I have bought, I have owned, I have owned that movie on DVD and Blu-ray. Anyway. My God. The, the, the Blu-ray has commentary by Bruce Valanche because he co-wrote it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. For, for another episode. Anyway, yes. uh, she did one episode of SNL. 
he directs he directed some episodes of, an episode of Parker Lewis can't lose the Wonder Years and something called Hollywood Mom, and she okay. directed she directed one movie Back to the Beach, which is the 1980s beach throwback um, Frankie Internet beach movie with Pee Wee Herman. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and that bombed. And weird. I know she's on Twitter and she's like, I want to direct more, but I think one thing I've learned, like a recurring theme in this podcast, Hollywood sucks for women. And if you're a woman director and you make one bad movie, you're done. You know, and sometimes the, even that doesn't even have to be a bad movie. You can just be an unsuccessful movie. Well, yeah. That's what, well, yeah, that's what, that's what I really mean. Like uh, Tank Girl and Ishtar. I mean, both mm-hmm. did very badly, but d- movies by men have done worse and they keep going. So yeah, they get way more shots. So too bad for Lyndall Hobbs. But I think the main people behind this movie are the Copelands, especially Miles Copeland, Miles Copeland the third, <laughs> the uh, founder of IRS Records. Do you know anything about him? I don't know a whole lot about him. Like IRS Records is a fairly famous label, uh, especially if you, you know, were into punk music at any given time. Like they they you know held records by a great number of very notable bands over the years. But uh, I don't know a lot about the history of its formation or the people who made it. Miles Copeland's dad helped found the CIA, and he was responsible for the Iranian coup. Uh- <laughs> oh, minor <laughs> detail. Yeah, this is some real like Jim Morrison's dad was involved in the Gulf of Tonkin incident shit. Really? (laughs) Yes, he was. Man, who knew? You did. Okay, wow. I did. But no, it's like one of those things that's just emblazoned in my brain for some dumb reason. No, Miles Miles Copeland II has the Miles Copeland Jr. has that quote. Call me old fashioned, but I think America should be assassinating more international leaders. You know, so you know he was a. Person. So there was, was Amer- no quiet part with him. That was just no. it's all the it's all the loud part. No, he was American and uh his wife was Scottish. Um Okay. Yes. Miles Copeland grew up in England, went to America, went to school in America. In the seventies, he was a manager for Wishbone Ash, kind of a moderate level prog band. And Okay. He got way into he he started learning about management really early. There's a, a, a good interview with him. I read that. A lot of British bands don't understand how to break into America because in England, England's a small country and it's a BBC. So if you right. get on the BBC, you're in every home in America, but it's so hard to do it. And in every home in England, but it's impossible in America. Mm-hmm. And the Who, the Who told him, if you want to get popular in America, you have to play every shithole in America and do it over and over. So and you know what's amazing? That strategy has not really changed in the ensuing decades. No, I mean, I think even more so now with no, no MTV exposure the internet radio being a complete joke radio being radio being a complete joke and the internet just being flooded yeah you know you either got a tour or get 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 big on tiktok <laughs> so pretty much the only options but he started a label called btm which is british something something <laughs> in uh mm-hmm. 74 and that was a label for renaissance which is a fantastic prog band that performed with a full orchestra um Caravan, Curved Air, bands like that. Unfortunately, 1974, really bad year for prog rock. If you, you trust me on this, I don't. I, I have a whole prog podcast, but okay. uh, yeah, the, that label folded in '76, and he went to punk because he was like, I don't have any money, neither do they. So fuck it. And he said punk was easier to book concerts for because there's less people. <laughs> 
and less fewer people. The songs are shorter. The sets are shorter. Like it's it's very straightforward. Yes, I mean he used to book a he used to, he booked a U.S. tour for Renaissance, and they had an orchestra. Yeah, there aren't a lot of clubs that can accommodate that. No, no, yeah. Renaissance is a weird band, but yeah. So that got him into that, and then his brother, of course, is Stuart Copeland, who was the drummer for the Police. They One of the formed, greatest drummers anywhere in modern rock music. Yeah, I, I figured you would you would say that. Yeah, <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> he is he's he is. Look, I, I was never the biggest Police fan, but the songs I like, I love, and almost all of them are like his most notable like drum songs, like the ones where he really kind of comes through. Yeah, the Police have. I think the police's first album, aside from Born in the Fifties, which has aged terribly, is mm-hmm. a fantastic record, and it has my, one of my all-time favorite songs on "Next to You," which is just like yeah, "Next to You" is amazing, banger, banger track. But he started Illegal Records in 1977, basically to promote the police, and that became IRS. And IRS was a really, really big deal in the 80s. They had, a, they were probably one of the biggest smaller labels, like. So many big bands. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> REM, The Go-Go's, Dead Kennedys for a little bit. One album by Berlin, you know, Oingo Boingo, The Police, as I, as I said. So, yeah, big, big deal. But they got too big, too fast and folded in 96. So, the end. I, I do like that IRS at one point had Black Sabbath. Which era of Black? Was that like Dio era one. Sabbath? Not okay. a good one. <laughs> All right. It's also they also signed Renaissance to I think he signed Renaissance kind of as like a favor and Renaissance released one new wave album, which is I can't even imagine what that must have sounded like. Man, when Prague went new wave, you had some good stuff. Like there's a yes, you know, Owner of a Lonely yeah. Heart. I think it's a good song, but you also have Asia. Right. So yeah. You know, it's not as it's good. Not, or GTR. Do you know who GTR is? Oh, I've heard of GTR, that but I don't is, think I've ever actually heard them. That is Steve Hackett and Steve Howe's band. Okay. The guitarists from Genesis and Yes. And that is one of the worst bands in the world. Only one that's worse than that is Three. Sorry to go off on a prog thing. Three mm-hmm. is Emerson. Is, is, uh, which, who is it? It's Emerson and Palmer, but not Lake. <laughs> Why would you even do that? Well, there is Emerson, Lake, and Powell, and that's pretty good. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm this sorry. Po- this podcast is about punk, damn it, and new wave. I know, it's about punk. It's about punk. Anyway, yeah, iOS folded in '96. <laughs> he started another label in '97. That folded in the 2000s. He has a label now, allegedly called CIA Records, which, which is hilarious. Um, Boy, just really leaning into that shit. Well, it's Copeland International something, but I think it's dead. Like all the artists' pages go to 404s, so kind of uh hasn't been updated in a while hasn't been updated in a while and i think that email address gave me a return to sender and i think you know he has he had a book that came out this year but i think other than that he's he's pretty much retired and probably rightfully so fun fun fact right searching cia records does not do much for your search uh your your like search engine optimization fun point searching irs records same thing Yeah, kind of <laughs> seems like they maybe. Well, I mean, IRS was founded pre, you know, uh, Google era, but yes. uh, maybe, maybe for the next one, he should have gone in a different direction. You got to type in like CIA, and even if that one is hard, if you type in CIA Copeland, you don't get that him. doesn't help either. <laughs> you get his dad. So yeah, kind of a oopsie. But yeah, I, I I think he's a very interesting guy, and I I do want to read his book because 
he seems like he knew he knew what the hell he was doing. Well, he knew what the hell he was doing, and he's he's just has this incredible roster of associations just with all the bands that he has, you know, brushed up against over the decades. Yeah, and he was, I think he was Sting's manager, too. So I'm sure he's doing just fine now, <laughs> like, unless un- unless he really screwed up. So as far as I know, pretty much everyone involved with the police is doing all right these days. That That's good. Even Andy? I think even Andy. <laughs> I love my favorite thing about the police is that the only band I can think of where the least famous person is the guitar player. Yeah. Like, and it's just so much a personality thing. Like, you know, Andy's a great, he's a great guitar player. It's just that like Stuart Copeland is just such an abrasive person. And sting is just like this omnipresent force, despite the fact that I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've been interested in anything sting has done as a solo artist ever. But obviously, he's very wildly successful. So, yeah. what the fuck do I know? Yeah, I, 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 there's a few Sting songs I like. I liked it when I was a kid. You know, uh, I like "Living in the Material World." It's not a bad song. I like that one. But for the most part, the Police were better. Definitely, yes, yes. yes. And one, um, really, I want to mention some of the production stuff on here just because it comes into play later. So, mm-hmm. this movie was produced by Lorimar, which is a TV company that made Dallas. I was to say, that's what I know them from, is just, like, producing a ton of television. Dallas, Falcon's Crest, Knott's Landing, ALF, you know. Uh, Ooh, Silverhawks. Yeah, Silver. I just bought yesterday a 45 of the Silverhawks theme song. I <laughs> I will not judge you for that. As someone who watched way more Silverhawks as a kid than I really had any right to, I cannot judge you for that. That same label, apparently, this is this is an of era recording. That same label put out one for Mask. So now I got to find Mask. And see, but Mask anyway. yeah, had a good theme. Yeah, they yeah, Silver Hawks is not. But the the TV shows are pretty big, but the movies kind of hit and miss. They did America Thon, which is a very bad movie. The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, which uh. I own. That is a Doctor J vanity project with Jonathan Winters and Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. It's uh, and um, everything about that screams. We just made this because we were able to get some famous two people together, and we offered them cocaine. Yeah, it's it's just terrible. The theme song is fantastic, but the movie's terrible. Uh, okay, they they had a few big like being there was a pretty big movie. Being there's a great movie. I've never seen being there. I gotta see being there. I, it's I know great. It's, yeah, and you know I love the last Starfighter, but I don't know if it made money. Action Jackson. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the more famous films are big bombs, like Cruising. <laughs> Cruising, one of the skeeviest movies I have maybe ever sat down to watch, and that is also kind of hilarious. I think Cruising is a masterpiece, and I can say I, that because I'm gay. So <laughs> I, I enjoy it, but like there are parts of that movie that are just like borderline like slapstick comedy. Like the the guy, the the dude in the jock strap that keeps coming into the interrogation room and then just slapping the guy around. Like it's the least menacing version of that they could have possibly done. Yes. It is a it's a weird movie. But yeah, uh yeah. Lamar was bought by Warner. That's gonna be a common phrase here in eighty eight, and they became part of Warner in ninety three. And then the movie was distributed by a company called Filmways that did TV like Green Acres and Beverly Hillbillies, uh, and a bunch of movies that bombed. They 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 distributed Roar, the Lion movie by Tippi Hendren's family. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which that didn't make any money. 
and uh, blow out with Travolta and Dress to Kill. So by also those are both by uh, uh, De Palma, but yeah, they folded almost immediately after Erg came out, and they were bought by Orion, who was bought by MGM, and then Warner would buy Orion's library. <laughs> the consolidation of media—it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but th- that's. I think that's one of the reasons why when this movie came out, it, it kind of it had multiple releases, and I think that's why. I think when it came out first, it barely got released because the company folded like instantaneously. Let's talk about the bands in this movie. Because, again, there's a lot of them, and most of them are really good. So, do you just want to go in order? Might as well. Yeah. The police open it with Driven to Tears. Yes. Not one of my more over, like immediately familiar police songs, but a good one. It's a gooder. It's a good performance, too. Did you notice what's on what's written on uh, on Stuart's Copeland's drums? I think I did. Like I is I can't tell if I I don't know if I got it exactly right, but it seemed like uh, the words that were written on the toms were "fuck off, cunt." Yeah, thank you for saying it because my mom will do this. I don't want to say that. Fair enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I'll take that hit. Cool, cool. Well, thank you. But yeah, yeah, that's one that you have to see. You to really see that, you need a, a good HD copy, huh? Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we'll get to that. I like that song, but again, yeah, it's not my favorite police song. Wall of Voodoo. Well, actually, before you before you move to Wall of Voodoo, I just want to say real quick there is a there is a bit in the intro of this that I do really enjoy. Oh, okay. uh, it's just a quick throwaway shot before the actual police performance, uh, which is Sting skanking. Like it is just him in front. Like I I don't know if band is playing or if it's just music over the loudspeaker or whatever. It's like behind the scenes footage, and you get a rare shot of Sting, no bass in hand, just skanking to some kind of ska rhythm, and I just that made me weirdly happy. I don't know why. Maybe he was. Maybe he had an English beat tape playing because he's wearing an Could English. He's wearing an English beat T-shirt, so good taste. Um, yeah, but yeah, then Walla Voodoo. Not a band I know much other than their one hit. Yeah, it's funny because uh, Stan Ridgway is the singer. He quit the band right when that song became kind of popular. Uh, Walla Voodoo is a weird band. The albums with him are fantastic. The ones without him are not. And. He has some good solo stuff. His first solo album's great. Uh, has this amazing song called Camouflage. It's kind of like new wave, like Bob Dylan storytelling. It's very mm-hmm. strange. I recommend that. I, I do like this performance. And on the soundtrack, it's a little bit different because when it ends on the soundtrack, there's more. it keeps it going longer. And you can hear Stan in his wobbly voice say, thank you. I love, I love show business. Show business is my life. This was great. Because he hated that concert. Oh, because, okay. Because these concerts were filmed very strangely, and it was like an abridged set, and the entire pit was cameras, and I don't think he enjoyed the... He did not enjoy the experience. 
Yeah, it's weird. Like when you like when you film a live performance, like there's a lot of intricacy you kind of have. Like you like no one would notice unless you were there because, like you said, there's a bunch of cameras around. Sometimes they're taking up spaces where the crowd would normally be. Like having a camera in your face while you're trying to perform, I can imagine is probably very distracting, especially in a tight space like a lot of these shows are filmed in. Like it can be very messy, especially if you're like an underground band who and that's not really your thing. Like, yeah, I'm sure Adele could do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like. it's it, like the, at, at a certain scale, it becomes less of a problem. But when you're in like a tight club and you're used to just kind of like being right up there with the audience and not having to do things like, say, repeat the song or do, you know, multiple takes or like, you know, make sure that you're mugging for the camera in this moment or that moment. Like, you know, it, it can be very distracting. Yeah, I, I totally I get it. Yeah. But the next artist is totally wild chains and pace. Going from Walla Voodoo to Toya, who I assume you never heard of before this movie. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, very striking presence right out of the gate. Yeah, she's great. She's kind of like a more kind of I would say a cross between like Kate Bush and Cindy Lauper. Yeah, but with like a little bit more of like a melodramatic kind of oh, uh, yeah. presentation, especially in her band cuz this is so the the movie makes a mistake. This is not Toya Wilcox. This is Toya. Toya's the right. band. Toya Wilcox is the singer. They released a few albums in the late 70s, early 80s. They're all really really good. Then she went solo and you stopped there. <laughs> um right. she's also married to Robert Fripp. Oh, okay. Of King Crimson. And yeah. uh they have one album together, which is like a spoken word thing that he plays guitar over. It's really weird. I like Toya. I recommend Blue Meaning if you want to, if any, anybody out there, her second album, the Toya, Toya the Band's second album, Blue Meaning is great. I love this song too, Danced. It's a good song. It's also just very striking how, how stagey her performance is compared to everyone else in her band who are yeah. pretty much just guys. <laughs> it's, it's like. Yeah, it'd be like they're extremely just guys. Yeah, it'd be like if Marilyn Manson toured with a bunch of guys who looked like they were in Bob Seger or something. Like it's exactly. just like yeah, it's a good, it's hilarious. Yeah, I complete change of pace again. Get used to that. One of I think the best like one minute and twenty seconds in the movie. Truly the funniest. I will say that. <laughs> John Cooper Clark. Any idea? Again, another one. I, did you hear him beforehand? No, I, as far as I, I, I genuinely thought someone's weird uncle had just wandered onto stage and was just like riffing. <laughs> oh, I looked like up a, a Muppet because like that yeah. hair, that hair. Like it's weird. a, it's like halfway between Rick Ocasek and um, uh, what's his name, the the Wall of Sound producer, uh, Phil Spector. Phil Spector, yeah, it's like somewhere in that range. It's like if you took Rick Ocasek and Malcolm McDowell from Tank Girl, put that thing on him to get the water yep. out of him. It, uh, yeah, John Cooper. What is Clark he is, doing here? <laughs> well, he's he was. What like, is his thing? He he's he was a poet, and he he had albums that had music behind them a little bit, but like very sparse. Like he's just like a drum machine and some guitar. Uh, did you ever watch The Sopranos? Yeah, I've seen The Sopranos. There was an episode that uses his music. There's a song oh. called There's a song called Chicken Town. Chicken Town is just. A very simple beat with him just saying the bloody cop, the bloody king, the bloody key, the bloody. Every other word is bloody or fucking, depending on okay. what you're hearing. And he's, I think he's brilliant. Okay, <laughs> I, I have a couple of his albums. He's he had the um 
they'll all like this. They'll all like kind of rambling, fast-paced spoken word pieces that end kind of in a punchline. Yeah, uh, it's like it, it's not that I don't think like like he's he's got a delivery and a confidence, which I think is is interesting. But it's like the thing that threw me off was that like it felt like he was hearing a song in his ear while he was doing this, but no one else could hear it. I think that's how he keeps his own internal meter, like his beat, okay, his cadence. I don't know. He was, yeah, he was a weird guy. He, he's still alive somehow because apparently he did all the heroin. Like he just he hooked up with Nico of uh, Velvet Underground and Nico, and that's just, that's a pretty good way to start doing heroin. Yes, and vanished for a long time. Apparently, among new wave people, there's a kind of an infamous like serial commercial that he's in. <laughs> Okay. And that was his only public appearance for like a decade. Uh, So, like, the incredible thing about him is that, like, he, I'm looking him up now. He's 72 years old now. (laughs) He looks 62 years old in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he, like, that, like, that dude had a hard road to hoe. You could tell. (laughs) He's, yeah, he's, hey, don't do heroin, you know? Uh, Don't do heroin. That's, that's just good advice in general. But, if uh, I I love his hair, I I, I I wish I couldn't do like if I did that, I would sweat to death and fight. His hair is so big; it looks like it's powerful. It's powerful. It's like an untamed like mullet from the alarm. Like it's yeah. just like yeah, it's 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 intense. Hair explosion. <laughs> hair explosion. From intense to understated, uh, OMD orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Probably one of the after the police up to this point, probably the most famous band in the movie. You like OMD at all? Yeah, not like yeah. I have nothing, no dislike of them. They're just not a group that I've ever really dug that deep into. But I mean, you know, whenever you start talking about the genre and you know this scene, like they are a name that inevitably comes up. Yeah, the song here is an Gay, which is a great song, and I like a lot of that early stuff. I think the most famous song in America is "If You Leave," which was yeah. in a I forgot which John Hughes movie. <laughs> it's in one of them. Yeah, there's uh, there's a limited number to choose from. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I recommend Dazzle Ships from '83. That's another good one. But I love the performance in here, and I love how high up his bass is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big, big Beatles vibes. Uh, then we then we go to Punk with Chelsea, a band I yes. never heard of. I'd heard of them. I they're I think they were on some comp or something that I acquired over the years and I like I I was only vaguely familiar with them, but like the name was familiar and when I heard the song, I thought I'd heard the song before too. Yeah, I'm on fire. That's a great song. It's good and their performance yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, he's 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 selling it and they were in uh people who were in this band formed Generation X. With yes, Billy Idol. Eventually with Billy Idol, yes. Yeah. And I do get a real like Billy Idol but more real vibe <laughs> from Yes. There's definitely like an actual punk vibe as opposed to the purely, you know, aesthetic version of it. Yes, yes. But I, I, I listened to a few of them a few other songs by them and I do want to pick up some of the al- albums because they're they're really good. I, I think that song's great. Uh probably one of my favorite bands in the movie is Oingo Boingo, and they're next. And they are uh, one of my favorite bands, period. Yeah. The, oh, man. So good. And this song's amazing. It is. And it's one of, like, you, you, you actually mentioned this to me offline. It's actually one of their least recorded ones. Like, it's not on any of their main albums. Uh, it's on their Farewell Live album, 
Uh, yeah. but I don't think there's like a regular recorded version of this around. Well, there, there, it's on, it was on one two disc greatest hits album okay. and it was just, but there are two, there are two studio versions of it. There's one that was released on a 10 inch record and one on a 12 inch and they're different recordings. And okay. both of those are on the brand new re-release of only a lad. So oh, it, okay. a company called Rubellin remasters. They released, okay. they did the first four albums. Very good remasters. I highly recommend them. The the studio version of Ain't This the Life is not as good as a, as a live version because this out al- this song is just intense. Yeah, this version is great. The one on the the farewell record is really good. Like that farewell record is probably one of my favorite live albums. Oh, I, have, I have to pick um, it out. Yeah, it's it's a great double album. Uh, there's a DVD version of the performance as well that has a few other songs that didn't make it on the record, but. You know, they they disbanded in 95 uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, You know, there's two composers in the band, one of which is Danny Elfman, and his hearing was starting to go at that point. Oh, I I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why they haven't reunited as a band. Like, he's done some live orchestral stuff, but he Mm -hmm. doesn't do much of, like, the hard rock stuff anymore. Have you heard his new album? So I've heard a couple of songs from it, and here's the thing. I love Oigo Boingo, and I really enjoy Danny Elfman as a composer, those songs seemed absolutely rancid. And I don't mean like the band rancid. I mean, like <laughs> it is rotting. I, I like it. Uh, it, it's hard to listen to because yes, it is. Indu- it is. It, it's industrial metal and he's not in a good place, I think mentally. And it shows in those songs. Yeah. Um, it's not something I put on to the start rock out too but i it is definitely like hey i like late air killing joke so i mean i get those vibes it's it's very heavy it's nothing like oingo boingo obviously it's very Um, heavy but it doesn't feel quite right you know what i mean like not in a he shouldn't be making this kind of music way but in a it just doesn't quite cohere yeah it it's weird it's weird. it's very yeah. weird. Now, Oingo Boingo is a weird band. You know, Oingo they started as the mystic, the mystic knights of the Oingo Boingo. They were like a weird performance artist band more than anything else. So you've seen Forbidden Zone, right? Oh, I've seen Forbidden Zone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Whew, crazy shit. I I you do want to. They were into some weird shit. I want to. We, we, we I want to shout out the other composer in Oingo Boingo because poor Steve Bartek. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't get as much credit. He did Discord a Cabin Boy. <laughs> Someone had to do it. So- <laughs> I like high- Cabin Boy. That's not me dissing on Cabin Boy. I'm just saying. I've, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But his highlights are Cabin Boy, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, uh, Snow, Snow Day, an extremely goofy movie, and Novocaine. You know what? Romeo and Michelle is a legitimately good movie, yeah, too. That's, so that's I, a good you know, He's getting some good work out there. I, good. So t- just... Two quick things about Oingo Boingo. One, uh, they like I said, they are one of my favorite bands of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I discovered them during my years in a ska band because if you were a Southern California ska band, there's a decent chance you were at least influenced by if you were not necessarily their favorite band. Uh, Oingo Boingo was a huge part of that scene, and uh, the the. I just discovered them on tour one year. I was we were out there with some other band and they were like playing in the car and they're like, "Oh, you got to hear this stuff. Put on the live album." And I was just like totally hooked. Yeah, that's great. But the other thing the other thing is that uh this this performance is at the Whiskey, a place I've actually played. Like I've oh, been cool. on that stage before. Yeah. Yeah, well, it'll come up again. So, <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's a fascinating venue, you know, a lot of history there. But also, I played there on like a Tuesday night for like ten people, so it was a very different crowd. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, after them, you go back to England with Echo and the Bunnymen in another great one, a nineteen eighty Echo and the Bunnymen, which I love all Echo and the Bunnymen. I even like some of the newer stuff, and I the nineteen eighty stuff is the early early records are much more Joy Division. Yes. Yeah. There is no lips like sugar here. <laughs> this is no. It's like it's definitely much, much moodier, and you know, I I I kind of lost track of them post like late eighties. You're doing okay. Yeah. That that whole era of like eighties Echo and the Bunny Men and like some of the late seventies stuff, like very very fond of it. Yeah, and they they do uh, the puppet here, which is I think one of their earliest singles and one of their first like great songs that I yeah. You know, give me, give me, give me that and rescue. Those are both er- great early Echo and Bunnyman songs. My favorite is probably Killing Moon, though. So, you know, I'm, oh I'm yeah, simple. Killing Moon is a fucking classic. I'm simple. Uh, then and a great performance here. Like it's it's yeah. a it's a captivating one. You can see way up his nostrils, man. Like all Very the way much up. so. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of disconcerting. We're the sound of the earth, and we know what to say. Jules Holland. <laughs> Don't know this one. He was in Squeeze. Uh, was he the main guy in Squeeze? No. Well, there's been a lot of guys in Squeeze. He. All right. I don't think he had anything to do with Tempted, if that's what you want. Did he at least have something to do with Cool for Cats? I don't. I don't know. Now I have to find out. Uh, okay. Jules Holland discography. Uh, boy, he's no squeeze. His, he's in a, he's in a lot of stuff. Um, it's so hard to tell because there's so many there's so many squeeze albums. Yeah. <laughs> but he 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 just kind of plays piano here. And for like, like a couple of minutes, and then it's just like, all right, yeah. He 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 like does like some boogie woogie like big band stuff. It's I don't get it. It's a I, peculiar I, fit in this one. Like I assume this is just one of those cases where like he's on the bill. Let's film him, and then they thought it was interesting enough to put it in there. And it's for one for one like a minute and a half song. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not a big chunk of the runtime. Yeah, I would say nowadays he's most mostly known as a, as a talk show host. He hosts okay. uh, later later with Jules Holland, which is they put a lot of their clips on YouTube. And it, so, like, if you want to see, like, when Portishead got back together, they played that show. They played that TV show. Okay. If you want to see the, I think the only TV appearance of Metallica and Lou Reed, it is on uh, <laughs> later with Jules Holland. You know, I don't. I think I'm good on that front. I think you're good. Yeah, probably for the best. Yeah. Um, band I really love after that XTC. Yes. Yeah, not a long-lived band, but you know, very, very strong outing for as long as they were around. I think they were around for quite a bit. I, the last album came out like in two thousand. Oh, okay. Then I have completely lost the plot on what happened <laughs> with that band because I thought they kind of stopped playing after the the one member decided to quit. The, he didn't quit. He stopped touring. Oh, stop touring. Okay, Andy Partridge. So yeah, this is a rare live video, live footage on film of, of uh, XDC because at some point. Andy Partridge had a nervous breakdown on stage. 
And yeah, that's that's the story I remembered. And then okay, we're done touring. Um, and then they went on strike with their label. They have a weird history, but I I don't have a lot of the '90s stuff, but the '80s stuff is great. I especially love Oranges and Lemons. That's okay. a very good record. And also, they released two albums as a psychedelic rock band called the Dukes of Stratosphere. Uh, those are great. Uh, okay. If you, if you like psych rock, like 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 psychedelic pop music, like like zombies. Okay. Style. Yeah, really. They did it under an assumed name. They didn't tell anybody who it was. It's, it's really good stuff. I, I, I like them a lot. This is a great performance, too. Um, I think that's the era where I kind of lost track of them because I don't really know too much of their stuff beyond uh, Mummer. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of Americans lost track then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. And then Dear God. Yeah. Uh, this is Respectable Street. It's a great, good, sarcastic, like, fuck England song, you know? <laughs> fuck yeah, middle great, class. it's a great song and a very, very strong performance there. Yeah, he's he's stoked. Speaking of amazing performances... Klaus Nomi. So I didn't think I had heard of Klaus Nomi until I watched this. And I was like, wait a minute. I actually know who this is. And I don't remember why. I don't know. Like, I'm not familiar really with his catalog, but I've seen him as a performer somewhere else before. And I can't remember where the hell it was. There's a lot on YouTube. Uh, He did do. It must have been through something like that. He did backup vocals for Bowie on SNL. Because okay. Bowie kind of borrowed his look. Uh, he's how do you he's even describe? Fascinating. Oh, like new wave. So he, yeah, go ahead. He's like new wave opera is how yeah. I, would, I would give his. Like he has a very space rock kind of you know, and I'm talking like 70s, you know, early 80s, like very heavily painted up, you know, very weird shoulder pads kind of outfit, uh, space rock, and then but he has this high register, like his voice. But it's in his very operatic kind of quality to it. And so he's doing this music that sounds like, man, I don't even know what to describe this music as like. It is new wave, certainly, but it is on its own planet for sure. Yeah, he's one of a kind and he is an opera singer. Um, He does a rendition of Cold Song, which is a classical piece that when my boyfriend hears it, he cries. No. yeah, I know. It's a yeah. He's cute. Uh, That's sweet. Yeah, I know. Uh, he has two albums. At this point, he had no albums. He was just a touring act, and he got in a mm-hmm. movie based on that. If you really want to see some crazy shit, like watch his covers. He does a cover of "Lightning Strike," like you know, "Lightning Strike." Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's something else. Um, it's just fascinating. Person died way too young from AIDS. Yeah, he was one of like, I, I was reading up on him a little bit. It sounds like he was like one of the first people kind of within the actual like artist community to like very publicly die of AIDS. Like, yeah, I think in that time, a lot of people were passing away, but it wasn't necessarily being like publicly known like that was what was happening to them. But like his was one of the first one that I think became public. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's tragic. But his he has two albums. They're both great. They're both unclassifiable. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes, and I his performance here and his band is great too. Like they're all oh just yeah on it. The whole and, thing is super tight. Yeah, because that must be they have, he has choreographed dancers. Like it's a very well done performance, and I love how it starts with just his feet, and it, yes, it zooms up to to reveal the mime from hell. Um, 
God, <laughs> it's just like it, it's I it, it's one of the few on here that made like want to go look up whatever footage I could find of that person performing because it's yeah. just it's so striking and so like again, there's a lot of weird artists on this thing, but like his thing is singular. Yeah, he is completely one of a kind. No one before or since. The closest thing to Claus Nomi, I think, is probably Taco. <laughs> but Taco, yeah, but like Claus Nomi is like much more interesting, I think, yes. than Taco. Claus Nomi is good. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. Atletico Spiz 80. I'm going to guarantee you never heard of that band. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, they do a song on here called Where's Captain Kirk, which I love this song. I bought the album after I saw the after I heard it. I bought on vinyl. I didn't, I didn't love the song, but I was like into it. Like I was I was I was kind of nodding along with it and I was like, all right, there's something here. But like I so I was reading up on them. I guess this band changes its name like every year or it was they, when they were around. They were Spizzoli, then Spizzent Spin Energy, which is their current name. They're going back to Spin okay. Energy. Athletical Spiz 80, the Spizzles. Spiz Energy 2, Spiz, and Spiz Orbit. The vocalist goes by the name Spiz. So okay. there you go. I did talk to him briefly online. Really? <laughs> yeah, yes. What's he um, doing? He seems to be okay. He um nice guy. That's the, that's the, they were still touring, and I think they're touring again now. Uh okay. And very positive, you know, like old punk vibes. Cool. He's a he's a cool guy. Um yeah. I do recommend the album called Doer Runner which is really good. And it has another song called Clocks Are Big, Machines Are Heavy. And okay. the entire song is just them saying that for 30 seconds. <laughs> That's a song. Clocks Anything can be a song if you believe in it hard big. enough. Clocks are big, machines are heavy. That's, I, don't, I don't know. From a band you've never heard of to a band everyone's heard of, the Go-Go's. Yes, a very early Go-Go's performance here. N- 1980 Go-Go's. Uh, before they were even signed, really, I think. And children, these people, they are children in this movie. Yes. And also at the whiskey and killing it with uh, a really good, like they say a really rocking version of it. Well, that's what we got the beat and. Well, we got the we, beat, like, it, it, the, the the version we all know of that song, like, it rocks, but it's very poppy. Like, it's very dancey, upbeat. Like, this has a little more crunch to it. Yes. I think I'm, I think for, I'm one of the only people in the world who, have, who has probably heard this version of this song more than the studio verse. <laughs> so. Interesting. Okay. Because I, I listen to this soundtrack, like, all the time. Yeah. But, you know, the Go-Go's were a punk band. Like, people seem to forget. They could play their instruments, but they were a punk band. I mean, Belinda Carlisle was in the germs. Yeah. Yes. She never played with them, but she was in there. She got mono. <laughs> so oh. she, had to, she had to quit. But they're they're fantastic. Their performance in this is, is just a game. Oh yeah. Like their stage presence is like immediate. And you know, like there are some bands on here that are like not necessarily super big, but you can tell that like they have that presence. And there are some bands that are on here that are very big that don't quite have the same level of like immediate like this i'm i'm transfixed by this Mm -hmm. but like they just they just shred this yeah they they own it it's a fantastic performance but i think in terms with that when you're not if you're not counting weird gimmicks or just bizarreness it's a highlight of the movie yeah yeah totally yes i also love this performance by dead kennedys a band that i love but i have seen precious little actual live footage of in my lifetime yeah especially on film yeah. So 
they do um, "Bleed for Me," uh, which didn't Great song. get which didn't get released on an actual album until '82, and this is again 1980. Yeah. I love his little rant in the beginning. There's no punk rock in Argentina. There's no punk rock in Nebraska. <laughs> Just. <sighs> It's just it's fascinating to one to see this because again they're they're not a band that I'd seen much live footage of ever, but two just like knowing where the relationship with that band eventually went, you Ooh, know, with yeah. Jello kind of becoming very estranged from everyone else involved in that thing, and Jello be offered just being a complete lunatic in a whole bunch of different ways. Oh like, yeah, oh yeah. It's just interesting seeing them at that kind of like germinating stage of like this is where it all kind of started. Yeah, because at this point they had not even released an album. They only yeah. had they only had two singles. Those two singles being "California Uberalis" and "Holiday in Cambodia." So two of their biggest songs ever. So the best songs, you know. So get, yeah. yeah. Then we go to Steel Pulse, which Some is a straight up roots reggae, Some hardcore actual actual reggae. I, I, yes, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a big reggae guy, so I don't give me some reggae. Okay, I, I was waiting for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, you and me get that joke. Nobody else will. I am not the biggest reggae person either. I like good reggae when I find it, and Steel Pulse is a group that I've heard of and I have enjoyed before. Though I don't think I'd ever actually heard this song before. Yeah, Klu Klux, the Ku Klux Klan, when they bring a guy out dressed as a Klansman. Their keyboardist just straight up comes out as a keyboardist at the be- as a Klan member at the beginning and then just peels that shit off. They all, as I mentioned, they are all black. Yes. So the, They're a that. UK group. I think they're from Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. They're very good. They won a Grammy so for best reggae. So another, I mean, I'm sure they're very popular with reggae people. I just don't know any, I know nothing about reggae. I'm... I know Bob Marley and Jimmy Cliff. The th- one thing this movie really illustrates, if I could just digress for one second, here, go ahead. is just like how completely intertwined ska and new wave were at this point. Because a lot of these bands, even the ones that aren't explicitly ska bands, have some very ska elements to them. And, and ska and reggae obviously are pretty well intertwined as well. You know, they kind of, reggae kind of spawned out of ska. So like it's, it's just interesting, like, you know, like the way this movie kind of illustrates the fact that, like, yes, there is a divide between punk and new wave and ska, but a lot of it does kind of blend together into a very similar kind of scene. Yeah, definitely. Uh, although someone who is not at all ska would be our next performer, <laughs> Gary Newman. You're talking about Gary Skaman. Gary Ska. <laughs> no, not. <laughs> That's later. Gary Newman yeah. coming out in a go kart to sing uh, Down in the Park. <laughs> His little, his future, his little, uh, his little throne that on wheels that kind of just you know whips around when he feels like it. I love everything about this performance. I love his outfit. The, the I am a, I'm a contestant for the Running Man outfit he has on. Totally. His go kart that he's driving around and the lighting and just and and this is Gary Newman at his like his poutiest. Like he is oh, just yeah. such a oh. like frumpy face dude in all of this, but like he is selling it too. Yeah. And you know, in America, Gary Newman's a one-hit wonder, you know, for cars, yeah. which came out in the 70s, not in the 80s. But in England, he was 
unbelievably popular. <laughs> but oh yeah, like he had a really long run as like a you know a top selling artist, like well into the nineties at least. He had three number one albums in two years. Yeah, in England. He was so popular that there was a backlash against him. Like David Bowie's Teenage Wildlife is about Newman uh, and how much he hated Gary Newman. Like, he was a big deal. He was kind of an abrasive personality, right? I mean, he he believed his own hype. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And he had such a vision for these weird-ass shows that I would imagine now would be insufferable. And he got pretty bad pretty quick. Also, yeah. which didn't help. Have you ever heard his cover of You Got the Look? I cannot tell you. Like the last time I've seen Gary Newman exactly two times in the oh, last, okay. I'm going to say 20 some odd years. One, when Fear Factory did that cover of Cars. <laughs> and two, on that Battles song that he appears on. Oh, that's a good song, too. I it is a good song. That. I love yeah. Battles. I'm a big Me John too. Stanier fan. So like, I, yeah. I love that stuff. And that, that song he's on is really good. Yeah, yeah. He but he did a cover of Prince's You Got the Look like in like 92 which is just an abomination and that's when he quit. Ugh. He kind of took a few years off and came back as a goth industrial guy and he's pretty good at that. So, yeah. He yeah. was always very like a little gothy even in his most new wave. Like there was just something like a little bit mopey and pouty and sort of depressed about his whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and he's very mopey here. And then he he takes his go-kart and drives off. So we yeah. can. Re- I love the the dual keyboardists on either side in their little uh, container pods as well. <laughs> yes. Got a quarantine to keyboardists, yes. But Gary Newman drives off his go kart so we can rock the fuck out with Joan Jet. Yeah. Yes. So this is is this Blackhearts Joan Jet or this is this is just Joan Jet, Jet, Jet and the Blackhearts? Okay. Yes. And a very a much more subdued version of Bad Reputation than the one that became the single. Well, there is no subdued version of it. It's just, I mean, well, more so, more so. Yeah. I don't, I love it. I, uh, everything about it's great. And she, I think it's another one that's really well directed. There's a lot of really good close ups of just her face. And I think it, it just, it's a fantastic performance. I, I, I love Joan Jett. Pretty fresh out of the runaways at this point, right? Like she'd been out for a little bit, but her this first wasn't album, too far past yeah, that. Her first this is in August of nineteen eighty. Her first album just came out. Two years okay. later, she would have the third most popular song of the year. Yeah. Uh, um, I love rock and roll, right? Yeah. Yes. Number three in the Billboard one hundred that year behind I the Tiger and Physical, which I mean Those are kind of hard ones to beat. That's a good year for music, yes. So yeah. I've seen her live twice. She's great. She's still great. Jones, that's awesome. But because I love you, and because you love me, a mother won't go home, where you be? A band I never had heard of before I saw the movie was Magazine. Yeah, like I I had not heard of them either, but they like the song felt weirdly familiar, and I still can't quite place why. I, I might have heard it at some point. A lot of guys in this band that sort of look like other people, like <laughs> yes. various character actors, and also the keyboardist who has like seven keyboards he's playing at <laughs> once. <laughs> Need more keys. This is Howard yeah. Devoto. This is Howard Devoto from the Buzzcocks. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. I have this album, which is called The Correct Use of Soap. Um, I don't know. Apparently, this song is called Model Worker. I do like it. It's a very yeah, it's good, very off kilter, bizarre song. I like that song a lot. I think probably the I in my vote for one of the worst songs in the movie is the next one. Okay, um, Surf Punks. Yeah, I don't know what this is exactly. Like, it's clearly a it's a gimmick band of some sort. They're doing kind of like a whoa, it's like a beach party thing, but it's twisted. But it's like it's not that interesting. Like, it feels like a very proto Aquabats kind of thing. Like, they had not quite figured out what that would even be. I don't and, know. And they got this gimmick of like locals only. You know, like they're like the they're like Anthony Kiedis and Point Break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like. I don't know. Like it just it it feels like this is a thing some friends of the people who made this movie got in on. Like they were like, okay, yeah, we'll put you in this because we know you. Well, there was fronted the the dude who found it was a uh, I think he's the drummer. The drummer and kind of a co singer is Dennis Dragon, real name. Mm-hmm. His father was a famous conductor named Carmen Dragon. Dennis produced some surf movie soundtracks in the seventies. His brother is the captain. Of Captain and Tennille. Well, there you go. I mean, that's like a one-to-one drawing. You know, that's a straight line straight from Captain Tennille to the new wave scene. So I get it. (laughs) And he, this guy plays drums on Level Keep Us Together. Great. Well, then he definitely needed to do another band after that, for sure. Only other thing about surf punks I want to mention is that the the bass player's stage name was Ray-Ban. And that's funny. Um... The members, I fucking hate the song so goddamn much. It sucks. I, I'm 100% with you. This is this might actually be my least favorite song on here. Yeah, uh, Offshore Banking. It's white boy reggae. Offshore Banking Business. Terrible song. Terrible song. And not even like in that sort of acceptable Long Beach sublime kind of way. Like it is just bad pandering. Uh. And like, it's not like they're not terrible musicians. Like they're tight enough, but the song just sucks. Yeah, the only thing I want to mention about them is that the com- the guitarist for the members also was a composer, and he he did the scores for Don Juan DeMarco, Hannibal Rising, and the second Johnny English movie. <laughs> oh, okay. See <laughs> so Bartek's career looking so, looking up right now. <laughs> so we've got we've gotten to as far so that so far we've had four composers, right? Well, five because yeah. Andy Summers did a score, Stuart Copeland's done scores. Two guys from Boingo Boingo and a guy from the members. And we're not done yet. <laughs> so, nope. yeah. Much better after them is the R pairs. Another band I had never heard of. I love this song. I love the song and I love the performance. Yeah. Come Again, which is a double entendre. Mm-hmm. Very good song. I, I, I've listened to one of the albums. It is great. They only really did two albums and then they broke up and... The, People do other stuff now, but uh, yeah. I recommend our pairs. The singer Leslie, her stage presence is so good. Like, oh, she's so good. And then the I think her, her husband, the guitar player, like the the way they interplay off each other is really soft. Like they have a really good stage presence. Like everyone in that band, like it's just super tight. Yeah, it's a yeah, it, 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 it's it's kind of a technical type of music too. Like yeah, I don't know how it's it's kind of that dancey like post punk stuff. And yeah, I like, call it like, da- like it has dance punk, like it has like a real road rock feel to it, you know, like kind of just like had hard driving kind of rhythm to it. But like, yeah, I don't know, like it just it feels like it fits right in with the rest of this stuff, but it is kind of it kind of stands out on its own. Yeah. And and I, I, I do definitely it's a band I have to get more into. 
uh, then we go to the cramps. Which, a classic. Is this the best performance in the movie? It's it's certainly like top three most memorable, absolutely. <laughs> because one, I don't know how the fuck uh, Lux Interior is keeping those pants up. That there's a lot of tape on the inside, is what I'm I guessing. I hope so. I hope so. One of the only ones where that ends with someone just kicking the drums off the stage, and I mean the Cramps, they are like they're not a band I will go out of my way to listen to that much, but I am always entertained by them because they are just so campy and so ridiculous. And but they are good on top of it. Like they're not a bad band. They're not pure just like showmanship. Yeah, that, but he is just insane here. Oh, he is off the off the chain oh, in several different ways. It's great, and I love who is the is the bass player or the guitarist his his, his partner. I forget which one. I think one. it's the guitar player. Yeah. Uh, the other other woman in the band. This is like I think her only performance with them. So it's kind of a rare thing to see both of them there. Uh, but all of them have a great look. I love how disinterested everybody else looks, you know, yeah. while while Lux is just screaming. And then there's that big woman in the audience freaking the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, like it's I, I that is a band I actually would have loved to have seen at some point. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that time has passed me by, obviously. But like they just it feels like every show of theirs was probably an experience. Yeah. Rest in peace, Lux. He's a god. Um, yeah. Invisible sex. Why is this? Why why is this? There's a whole mystery behind this band. So if you also really quick, if you go online about this movie, there's a a lot of misinformation and I'll get to that in a little bit. But this band did do at least one other concert. A lot of people say this is the only concert. They did at least one other concert because there's there's audio of it. No, this song is called Valium and it's like poor man's Devo, right? And very much so. Not very good. Uh, Kind of whiny. And they all have cardboard instruments at some point. Like, yeah, like four people are playing cardboard guitar while the actual guitar player is soloing, which feels a little disrespectful. Uh, <laughs> and like, it just, like you said, there's like a proto Devo thing. There's like, a, they're trying for something, but it's not clear what exactly. It feels like a joke band that some actual musicians decided to do like as a gag. Mm-hmm. And then since they're all wearing weird outfits and no one can see what they look like, no one will know they did this dumb thing. Yeah, so like they have they all have pseudonyms. Nobody knows who they are. Apparently, the singer was a guy named Mike Andrews who did some MCing. I don't know anything about this guy. The okay. guitar player was Tom Toomey who did later era stuff with the zombies. And Okay. The bass player might be Chris De Niro, who was the Adam and the Ants bass player. Uh, okay, so but, again, feels like maybe this is a thing that was pulled together by some people looking to do a gag. Yes, not on any of the soundtracks, and you know, rightfully so. Um, <laughs> it's it's not a good song. It's not good. It's not good. I still like it more than Offshore Banking Business because at least it's strange. Um, yeah, it stands out at least. Pear Ubu. I don't get. Yeah. Per, I don't get Pear Ubu. I don't either, but here's the thing. Dave Thomas, the other Dave Thomas, the one in this band, yes, has this unbelievable energy that I can only, uh, the way I would classify, like I was watching this movie with my girlfriend and she was not super into like necessarily a ton of this music and she was not into Perry Ubu like as a band, mm. but she could not stop watching this dude. Yeah, And she was like, I am, I don't know what it is. There's just something very childlike about what he's doing on stage that I find really captivating. And that's what it is. He feels like an overgrown eight-year-old. Like he is 
just doing weird stuff. He's just moving around. He's just letting his attention span kind of wander wherever he wants it to. But it's weirdly compelling, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, they're a weird band. I, I did talk to somebody from this band. They're still weird. <laughs> I believe it. it. Like Dave Thomas is like, they still exist, I think, and he's the only one that's still in it, right? It's, it's, it's weird. I don't even want to, I don't want, I don't want to speak out of school. It's, uh, yeah. The version of this band that exists now, I don't, I don't get it, but I don't get any. Okay. You know, they're doing them. They're clearly going for some very out there kind of stuff. And yes. like, again, it's it's very discordant and not necessarily super listenable, but it is an interesting performance. Yes, proof that there is interesting stuff from Ohio. Um, like Devo, who's next. Yeah, no, that's a band. Uncontrollable Urge, one of their best early songs, one of their best live songs. I think my favorite song of theirs, just like flat I out. Can't, I can't pick one. I love, um, I really love Gates of Steel, uh, but... okay. I, I love I love almost every Devo song. I a lot yeah. of people don't like their later eighties output. I I I worship Devo. I am that nerd, and I love Devo. I saw them live twice when they when they got when they reunited. Um, this is a fantastic performance. This was filmed for this is a full on Devo concert. Uh, yeah, not part of a of other bands. And man, is it good. Well, and that's the thing. Like this one. More so, like, there's plenty of, like, really good, tight, technical, like, like professional stage performances in this thing. But, like, when you get to this one, it's the first one you see where they are actually showing footage of people excitedly going into the concert. Yeah. And on top of that, it just feels like it's from a different thing. Yeah. Not because the music doesn't fit, but because they are just so much more professional, so much tighter. Their choreography, like, everything they're doing feels like... You are in a fucking Devo show now, as opposed to all this other stuff, which feels like it, any of these bands could have been playing with each other. Yes. Yes. Devo were uh, a cut above, definitely. And also, I think the last movie that had that famous composer. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Mothers. Mark Mothers Ba. Yeah. Still out there doing it. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok, right? That mm-hmm. was him. Yeah. Um, the Alley Cats after that, a band I had never heard of before this movie. Also very good. Like, They're- also surprisingly good. Yes. They released a few singles and a few albums, then they renamed themselves as the Zarkons. I mean, the Alley Cats is not a particularly memorable name, but I'm going to say it's better than that. Yeah. Everything I've heard of them, I love. And both yeah. as the Alley Cats and the Zarkons, the Zarkons do an amazing cover of White Rabbit. Okay. Uh, they still tour. But great song. Great song. Then John Otway, who I do not understand. This, uh, maybe even more so than uh, John Cooper Clark, this really feels like someone wandering into the movie that does not belong here. He he does, like, he's classified as a folk singer, and I've seen other performances of the song that just have guitar, and him still doing the same thing, His because his, his, he's going all out. Um, yeah, he's definitely going all out, that's for sure. Yeah, Cheryl's coming home. I don't get it. It. I don't hate it, but it's weird. Um, it's weird, and it just doesn't feel like it fits well within this roster of songs and bands. Like, yeah. even though that what he's doing is definitely not folk here. No, like no. it has this energy of I am crashing someone's stage, and I'm just doing some shit, and the band is just figuring it out as it goes along. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a great performance of him on the old Grey Whistle Test where he accidentally breaks his guitar player's pedal, and then. He jumps on his speaker and his speaker falls down. (laughs) 
and he damn near breaks his ass. It's really funny. Uh, I don't, but as a song, I don't know. He's 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 a weird guy. Yeah, this one doesn't quite work for me. What about? Are you a Gang of Four fan? I'm not, and Good. it's not that I have an active dislike of them, but I just never really take into what I'd heard, and this might actually be the worst song I've heard by them. It's terrible. Um, what what's the name of this bad song? He'd send it, in the army. He send in the army. I I do not like Gang of Four. I have never liked Gang of Four, and I don't think I ever will like Gang of Four. So instead of pissing off Gang of Four fans, maybe we should just move on. <laughs> I'll just say real quick, like I can deal with abrasive post rock type stuff. Uh, it's just here, it feels like it's in your face in a really annoying way more than anything else. The one thing I'll say about this, I did read about this, and apparently they were high as kites during this. And you it can comes kind of, across. Yeah, they're on amphetamines. Um, another band that's not great, but I love this song is uh, "Homicide" by Nine Nine Nine. This one, this one feels the most like this set just kind of sounds like '90s punk. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it kind of in that that sort of vein of like there, there's something a little bit like more modern from where they were at this time. It's a it's very poppy. It's very stupid. Cause it's, it's a song. About, yeah, it is yeah, very stupid. Homicide. Let's murder people. Like, okay, okay dude, go, go back to your parents' house. But, you definitely have not thought about this very much, but I do like it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's catchy is the problem is it's actually a catchy song. And I have, I, I owned the first three albums. They're very good. Um, they're stupid, but they, they, yeah. they're catchy. Good, good, good stuff. Not, not annoying. Uh, I, I like this performance too. Um, I do recommend their stuff. Another band I don't know much about, though, is the Flesh Tones. Never heard of them prior to this. Do you like the song? I think it's okay. It's yeah. it's, it's it's not bad. It's a shadow line. I've checked out a few of the things by them. I get big. We like the animals vibes from uh, sure. A lot of organ and kind of like that sixties like halfway but like I, I just bought this massive british invasion box set and like the animals are stand out from all that stuff because they're more abrasive and it, it yeah. definitely has kind of like that abrasive 60s energy to it and they did a lot of albums on irs records they're still around i, I want to listen to more of them because i do like this song it's also the yeah it's not like, it's not bad but it just i can't say this is like one of the ones that i'd almost like kind of forgotten about yeah even fro- following the like watching it last night it is also the only song recorded in this movie at CBGB's. Yeah, place so, I wish I could have gone to, but yeah, uh, long gone by the time I got here. Yes, yes. From New York back to L.A. with X, well, California. Anyway. One of the most L.A. punk bands. Yes, the reason why X Japan is called X Japan and not X. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I I love X. Like love, X is oh, X, X is a great is band. Great. Yeah. Have you heard the new album? I haven't heard the new album, and I actually have. I don't think I ever heard that record they put out in the nineties either. No, I didn't either. Uh, no. But I, their eighties output to me is like oh, some God. of my favorite punk shit. Period. Yeah, this song is great. Uh, Beyond the back, uh, I do like this performance because uh, the bass player straight up stares directly at the camera <laughs> a multiple times, times. I multiple think. Times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like this, and it's like I always enjoy X live performances because X scene like there is just. She is really captivating as a performer while also looking the like she could not want to be there less like that. And that's part of her stage persona. I get it. But it's just it's just such a radiating level of disdain for everything. And it it works for the band, obviously, but it's amazing. He has a weird aura about her. He's like an evil CD next. 
Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> like Stevie Nicks, if like she lived in a haunted house and like all the local kids had bad stories about her. <laughs> Maybe she does. Who knows? Um, yeah. I do also like this John Doe from Roadhouse, um, mm-hmm. you know, as an actor. Yes. Then, okay, this might be the weirdest. But after Invisible X, Invisible, Invisible yeah. Sex, I'd say Scarfish. Now this is the weirdest band that is a, was apparently actually a band. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. Not a ska band. Not a fish. No, that's the guy's <laughs> name. It's the guy's name. His nose is real. That nose. That look at the album cover. That nose is terrifying. Um, Sign of the Cross is a purposely blasphemous blasphemous song. Um, yeah, I mean he's very pl- clearly playing to like look at I'm holding this incense holder and making cross poses like I'm I'm here to get in your face about religion. Yes, and then before the police play because that's the same show that the police played, which is a weird bill. Uh, I I want to like Scoffish more than I like Scoffish. Because... I don't like Scoffish, but I'm okay <laughs> with that. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> then. Splodgeness abounds. Now, did you get a chance to watch this one? I didn't. So this is the one okay. that's missing from, I guess, the version that uh, that you sent out there. And you, I think you were telling me that like no one seems to know why it's not on that version. Yeah, yeah. So this is a song called Two Little Boys." It's a cover of an old song. Splodgeness abounds is an oi band, but you wouldn't know it from this because the lead singer is dressed like he's in a glam rock band. It's not very good. Um, but yeah, this is hard to find version. Nobody knows why it's not on other versions. I, I emailed Spotless of Bounds. Um, and I was like, what happened here? Why can't why is this not on a DVD? And they they said that the song that they did was Two Little Boys, which is a cover of a song by Rolf Harris. Now Rolf mm-hmm. Harris is an Australian performer who went to prison for bad things. And yeah. they said that's why. But one, Rolf Harris didn't write that song. He made it famous. Two mm-hmm. This DVD came out before Rolf Harris was arrested. Right. So I emailed him back and I said that, and they're like, fuck, we don't know. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, the thing they're saying makes sense to a certain degree. And if you haven't been told why it's not there, I could see why you would guess that. But like, yeah, man, I don't know. Like, it's... There, we'll, we'll, I imagine we'll get into the release history of this thing and the cutting up of it down the road, but yeah. Yeah, and then fi- the movie ends with the police. Before, before the police come back, we have UB40. Mm-hmm. Now, of bands I know that are in this movie, I hate UB40 the most. I I don't like UB40 at all. I find this song relatively tolerable, and I found their performance relatively tolerable, but that's about the best I can say for anything related to UB40. UB40 is a band I hated when I was a kid. So, like... Yeah. Red Red Wine is truly execrable. Uh, yeah, I, I I find it amazing that UB40 covered I Got You, Babe, and it's not their worst song. But somehow, England loves this, guys. England, we need to talk. England has very questionable taste in certain places. Yes. You, oh, God, UB40. Anyway, but then, then it comes back to the police in a jam with a bunch of other people coming on stage. And police Maybe the co- best version of Roxanne I've ever heard, actually. Yeah, live versions of Roxanne are quite good. And then yeah. So Lonely, which is also a good... And and you see Andy Partridge is there, Scoffish is there. Um, like everyone that was on that bill just gets on that stage for So Lonely and has a good time. Yeah, so that would be like, yeah, Scoffish, UB40, XTC, Jules Holland, and the police all together playing So Lonely. Good ender. Good, it's a good closer. Oh, and terrific. Then, and then, then Claus Nobody sings the credits. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, again, thirty-five songs. <laughs> um, we did all two of it. hours, which is long for a yeah. concert film with yes. like you know not necessarily a ton of bands that people would have heard of at that time. Yes, and no, very almost no framing footage. It's just cut. Yeah. there's a few like you see X, you see X in a car, you see Wall of Voodoo answer a phone, a woman says "Welcome to the Ritz." But there's yeah, there's like a handful of things, but that's it. It's just concert footage, concert footage, concert footage. It's, I would say, I do love this movie, but I'm not just going to sit down and just watch it anymore. Like, it's background noise because it's just a concert. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But you know, but, I, I will say for my part, like coming to it so many years after the fact for the first time, it's really interesting. Like yeah. in the in in that historical context, in that way of like. There are some of these bands probably just never got filmed again after this, you know, yeah. and some of them, some of these bands that went on to be filmed many, many times, like this is one of the first times anyone ever saw them. And in that regard, it's a really fascinating artifact. It is not, I don't think, a great concert film mm-hmm. in that it is not necessarily super captivating from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. But like as a historical object, it's fascinating. Oh, yeah. yeah, as an artifact, as as a as a film preservation of a, of a scene, of a, of a moment. It yes, is absolutely. one of a kind. And, you know, I think it's it stands up really well that way. I do want to talk really quickly about how they made it because it is interesting. They filmed several concerts in several places between August and September of 1980. And some of these were like mini sets, like the concert with, um, I think the pair Ubu. So there's one of the Warfield theater that the entire concert was not used. (laughs) Um, but also at the Santa Monica civic arena and those shows with the cramps X dead Kennedy, Chelsea magazine, pair Ubu, members in Wall of Voodoo, they all did three songs each and fit for the movie. Also at that concert, Human League, filmed and not used. At the concert that was not used at all, the Dead Boys were there. And maybe maybe Berlin, I, I kind of got mixed stuff on that. Um, but they filmed the Dead Boys, not used. Uh, then they filmed the Go-Go's, Oingo Boingo, Surf Punks and Alley Cats at the, at the Whiskey, and then a few of them are weird, like that the Ritz, the Ritz has Claus, Nomi, and Joan Jett. One, weird double bill. <laughs> That's a hell of a double bill. <laughs> Two, there was probably more bands there. But I can't find, a lot of this stuff I can find flyers for, or advertisements, or even reviews for. I found a review for, I found a concert review for the Civic show. The, the press did not like that show. And the bands did not like that show. <laughs> Nobody liked that show. So I think there are more bands there. And then in, in France, we already said Scarface before the XTC, Jules, and the Police. One of the more interesting ones, at the Lycom Ballroom, there were two shows. One on the 17th of September, that had Athletico Spears, Invisible Sex, 999, and that's probably where the Splodness Abound show comes from. But on the 7th of September, with Echo and the Bunnymen and the R Pairs, there were also three other bands. Some band called The Books, I've never heard of. Some band called Delta Five, I've never heard of. And you too. 
1980 U2. 1980 U2 were in this. They filmed this. Now, from what I have heard, I talked to somebody. Okay, I have to be careful. So I talked to somebody who may have been involved with some point of distribution of this film. Mm-hmm. According to this person, U2 didn't want their footage used because they were not happy with the audience. Okay. And they had all, I guess, a lot of the bands had veto power. And U2 would just like, and this was not a power move. U2 were not popular yet. They no, they, but barely anyone knew who they were. They weren't full. This wasn't them being full of themselves. No, they just didn't. They just didn't think it was a good performance, and so they're not there. Uh, other performances not used. There's a the Mekons played. Uh, they weren't used. And what were the other ones? Um, the Squeeze and the Stranglers apparently were filmed. I don't know where. Okay. Not used. And the specials. Oh, where was the specials? Concert? I don't know. That's the thing. Like, it's hard to get information on this. So maybe they played. There's that show. The so some of these are only one band plays. Like the Toya band, the Toya show. That's the only performance from that venue. But I know huh. they didn't. I know that they didn't. They didn't film a Toya concert. Like they had to have filmed other bands. Same with the. They're not going to go to New York City, the CBGBs, and only film yeah. the Flesh Tones. So. The only stuff I know that was directly for complete concerts outside of the movie were Gary Newman and Devo. Okay. And other bands had complete concerts, but like like that the the whiskey show, they all did complete sets. You can find the set lists online. Okay. So I don't know where the specials were. I don't know where the stranglers were. Like I can't find any information on the Guild Hall show. So maybe okay. they were there, but it's it's crazy that there's 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 this footage of the Human League and the Specials and the Strangles and Squeeze, and just sitting in Miles Copeland's closet. <laughs> See that bums me out because like yeah. if the Specials was in there, that's the only band on this bill that I would have actually played with. Oh really? Cool. Yeah, I, I opened for them in Corona, California, in the mid '90s. Awesome. It was an amazing show. They were awesome. They were genuinely one of the best bands I've ever played with. They're one of the few like ska, like purely ska bands I love. I like two tone. And they're they, one of the few that's like lasted. Yeah, yeah. Two. I like that that style of like, two tone stuff, madness and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Like that early eighties, late seventies stuff. I can get behind that pretty heavy. Yeah, but twenty hours of footage was shot, and from what this one person whose name I can't say told me, mm-hmm. the film was shot, edited, cut, finished. And then sold to the distributor. So whoever, so it's so confusing. So Lorimar or Filmways, they only ever owned that footage that's in the actual movie. Anything else, there was was never released anywhere. And it's, again, if it still exists, Miles Copeland has it in a warehouse or a closet somewhere. And there's probably no good way to go about releasing any of that shit legally at this point. Oh, yeah. We'll get there in a minute. So the movie, after it came out, it did okay. Like, the reviews were very mixed. Most of them were kind of the same thing we said. Like, it's interesting, but it's just a concert. And a lot of people wanted it to have more behind the scenes footage like a lot of people compared it to decline of western civilization part one right in a Which negative is a very way. different film very different film and more interesting to be honest um yeah also has x uh it got re-released a few years later and the second it got the second it got started getting re-released it started to change okay so there's the original version of the film that is on the first theatrical run only 
and only on the original VHS and <laughs> CED releases. The What the hell is a CED? A video disc. I remember a long time ago, Giant Bomb got a Barbarella video disc in the mail? Oh, that, well, that's all, what that format is? First of all, that was me. Okay. <laughs> I sent that. Thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, that's what video discs are, yes. So s- some people, the speculation online is like this movie couldn't get re-released because it was a, some CED contract. Not, not true. Not true. It was on other formats. It was released in the UK on VHS, Beta, and V2000. Don't ask me. That's a whole other video format. Don't, don't even go. Anyway, that version, for some reason, doesn't have all of Voodoo. Okay. I don't know why. The UK Laserdisc, which is, I think, the only Laserdisc release of the movie, doesn't have Wall of Voodoo or our pairs. I think okay. that might be a time thing. Mm-hmm. Because Laserdisc is pretty... You, you can fudge VHS and get it a little over two hours if you need to. Laserdisc, you, you can't. It's, it's pretty yeah. strict. But then they re-released the movie in theaters in 83 and 84. And what's really weird is both versions were playing in revival houses at the same time. Mm -hmm. So this version cut out Chelsea, John Cooper Clark, Spears, the magazine, the members, thank God, Invisible Sex, Para Ubu, John Otway, Scarfish, and Splogness Abounds. So basically, apart from Chelsea, all of the most abrasively weird stuff, and I guess magazine, because magazine's not really that weird either. It's a little weird, but yeah, th- it's the a little smaller weird. stuff. I feel like that re-release came out because, hey, the police. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that so, would make some sense. That would make some sense. And then it was on TV, and that version was edited more or differently. Uh, they couldn't put the cramps thing on TV. <laughs> I kind of get that. Yeah. You know, uh, and Scarfish was cut too. And a lot of people said Gary Newman's cut. And this is the version that was on USA Network a lot. Okay. Yes. And then the movie vanishes for a long time. And then Warner Archive puts it out on DVD. And that version is almost complete. The Again, Splatness of Bounds is cut out and no one knows why. <laughs> the right. person I talked to said that the version Warner Brothers grabbed to get scanned was didn't have that in it. This person also said some stuff that was patently untrue though, because he said the movie was only in mono. That's not true. It came out in stereo and he said it was shot on 16 millimeter. It doesn't look like it. Um, but I, I could be wrong there. I'm not enough of an expert to be certain of that, but yeah, I'd be surprised. Um, so yeah, but nobody knows why. And then even the soundtracks are different. Like the LP cuts out some songs and then the CD cuts out more songs. And that soundtrack was released by A&M because they had a deal with IRS Records. So a lot of variations on this, a lot of things happening over the years, and the movie became pretty hard to find. Becomes hard to find, no one can see it, and I own two DVDs of it because I'm me. And I notice it's on YouTube a lot, and but the footage is terrible, but it's on YouTube all the time and forever. Like the clips are like 10 years old. 
So I'm like, I'll put mine on YouTube and I'll I'll upscale it. <laughs> uh, I have 4K upscaling. I'll do that. And so I do that. I put it on YouTube. I put the first three clips online. No problem. I put the rest online. I instantly get banned from YouTube. And not this is not, again, not just warning. Banned. Instantaneous banning from co- multiple copyright strikes issued by a guy named Michael Bentcover. And I do research. He works for Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers is claiming copyright on this film. I'm like, well, they're probably right. So I, I fucked up. I said, I'll, what do I do? YouTube's not helpful. I email Warner Brothers. They never are. Yeah, I email Warner Brothers basically to apologize. And I'll say, look, what do you want me to do? I'll, I, I'm sorry. It's my fault. I thought it was okay. I, I, I was wrong. And they're like, well, you're a repeat offender. Fuck you. And I didn't say fuck you, but they almost did. And Right. They in, were, in legalese, they said that. Well, they said, you know, repeat, you're obviously a repeat offender because you got banned. Not true. But so they wouldn't listen to me. So I was like, so this is happening right after I'm out of quarantine from being back in America and not in a very good mood for things happening in my life. And I'm like, no, fuck you. <laughs> so <laughs> I hire a lawyer. I go to the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I think. Yes. And they put me in touch with a lawyer. And we, he's, he starts to say, like, look, if I just keep bugging them, eventually they'll, they might cave. And I'm like, well, I'm going to look into the copyright. So I start searching, and I find a blog post by Scoffish. So Scoffish. The James Scoffish. The James Scoffish. His nose uncovered something. When the movie got re-released on DVD, he was like, yo, this is not legal. Full stop. Because back in the day, when you would make a contract for something like this, it would clearly state distribution medium. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yes. Definitely. So that's why like, like uh, Miami Vice, when it got re-released on DVD, it was a big deal because they had to pay for the rights again. Or like when you watch Daria on DVD, the music's not in there. Or why... Or really any MTV stuff because whatever deal they were signing when people were submitting music videos for that thing, let them do whatever the fuck they wanted on broadcast. But when it came to home video, none of that shit was written in. Or, or the worst case scenario is WKRP in Cincinnati, right. which just incorporated songs into the storyline and now they can't get those songs ever again so they're gone. So contracts have to be renegotiated. These never were. So there's one. Two... My lawyer found out that, and it's maybe copyright law is weird. You know, you know that. But it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. But when there's a soundtrack that's released before the movie, the songs are copyrighted as the soundtrack, not the movie. So Warner might have a copyright for like the visual performance of the artist playing music, but they don't have a copyright to the actual songs in it. They would have to license it. From whoever owns that, and that's A and M, and A and M got bought by Universal. So, yeah. and then when you factor in all these companies that went bankrupt and got bought and sold and bought and sold and ended up at Warner Brothers, yeah, Warner Brothers might have all this stuff, but they don't have those contracts anymore. They have to renegotiate this stuff. So, I my sold my lawyer that, and I also talked to somebody in the movie. I talked to a few artists who were in the movie. None of them got paid for this. Of course, they didn't. None of them did. And one of them, who I can't say who it was, who had a, who has some legal background, they were like, "Yo, 
They broke the law with that release. They void their right to tell you what to do. This person said to me, yo, you broke the law too, (laughs) but you didn't make money off of it and you're not claiming ownership. They are. And they said, keep fighting them. You'll win. So my lawyer presented this information and then immediately within 12 hours, they quit. I got, my YouTube, I got my YouTube channel back. And he said, usually in these situations, all you have to do is offer to pay a, li- a quote unquote licensing fee. It's a bribe. Not a lot, like a hundred bucks, you know, and they'll, they'll say, okay, fine. Don't do it again. But we think that they couldn't take that money. Right. Cause the movie's out of print now. You can't buy it again. So I think it just is a, is a example of just how fucked copyright is. <laughs> Oh, it, it's it's fucked every possible way. Like, not to you know go on with like a personal rant here, but Please like do. you know the thing the thing that we are seeing nowadays is just like the way that like licensed music is essentially being weaponized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I work in video games primarily. We're now in a situation where because people stream games on Twitch all the time, developers are literally having to build in back end solutions when they have licensed songs that appear in the game to make sure that those songs don't appear on stream. Because if you get three copyright strikes on Twitch, your channel gets banned Mm -hmm. and it's a mess because there's no good reason for any of this. Like I understand somewhat the argument of like, Hey, if people are just listening to the radio randomly on, on their channel and they're not, you know, using a product that has licensed music in it, that's like a weird thing and maybe is not the best. But if you're just like literally playing a game that like they went out, they paid the money to license that song for this product and that product is appearing in a stream. I really don't think there should be a situation where people are getting strikes for this kind of stuff. And in a case like this, where clearly Warner caught this thing somehow, it got wrapped up into their, their catalog some way or another God only knows what led them to decide to do a DVD release because this was like a mail order thing, right? Like it wasn't a, it didn't put it out in stores, correct? Yeah, so so the, the, the person I talked to, again, yeah, said that someone there convinced them to release it on this okay. format and it was a big seller for Warner Archive because Warner Archive is made to order, mail order only. Made to order, okay. mail order only. DVD-R. Gotcha. And, but I asked this person, well, what about the rights stuff and he this person was like well that, that was handled by Lorimar and I was like no see the the other thing like contracts have to change and he, this person never got back to me I mean I imagine what happened was someone convinced them to do it they thought they had the rights and since it is probably a division of their you know their media empire that doesn't necessarily get the most scrutiny mm-hmm. they just did it and then they didn't realize they'd fucked up until someone came along and let them know that their rights were not actually what they thought they were. That person is being Scoffish. I'm and I'm not joking. Yeah. Scoffish has yeah. Scoffish owns the copyright for his audio in the movie now. Yeah. Like out you can go That's to the US. Yeah, he owns that. So now if they re-release it, they have to pay him. And I did email Scoffish, and I can say that his people said they can't talk about it. <laughs> Right. Okay. So something's happening with this movie. And it is the thing that's frustrating to me about it is that like look, I'm I'm a middling mid-level low to mid-level writer, podcaster, YouTuber, whatever. They could have completely ruined what's left of my professional life by banning me from YouTube. Like 
because not and only, they would have done it without a second thought. Without a second thought, they didn't care. I sent them email after email, pleading, explaining why I did this, like how I I want if, what yo do you, I I got this good 4K copy. You want it? <laughs> like I can I'll, I'll make it better and give it to you. Like all this stuff, this completely shut down. Just do not care. They made money off of an illegal release of a movie, most likely, most likely, allegedly. I have to be careful. Yes. Springing in allegedly there. Allegedly. They probably allegedly made money illegal made money off this illegally. No punishment. The every artist I talked to, every single one, none of them got paid for this. And some of them, you know, I don't think the police give a shit. You know, but I would imagine I didn't talk to anybody in, let's say, the Alley Cats, but I mm-hmm. bet they want money. <laughs> I, look, that's the thing. It's already hard enough to get artists paid, you know, like yeah. especially these days. And in something in a case like this, you putting clips from this movie that basically exists in uh, rights purgatory mm-hmm. does not really damage these people in any way. If anything, it maybe gets people to notice these bands that potentially never are never going to get any sort of like actual forward facing promotion again. Yes. And you know, the only thing that can fuck that up is the person or the entity that thinks it owns the rights being like, well, no, we need to make more money off this. So fuck you again, allegedly, illegally, but you know, whatever the case. But the thing is like, it's not the artists that are suffering when people decide to throw stuff up like this on YouTube. Like you're not fucking them over in that regard. The only people who are fucking them over are the entities that are ostensibly the ones that are supposed to be paying them. Yes. One artist I talked to said that they are banned from YouTube because when they fired a guitar player, the guitar player filed multiple false DMCA notices against them. And got the DMCA them. is a nightmare the and DMCA should not a, exist. Yeah, it should not exist. And so the reason I tell this story, one, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> the, it is. Like, I, like I, I'm just, one, I'm super glad you got your channel back because oh, yeah. that is such bullshit. But two, what an instructive tale. For for the current time, honestly, mm-hmm. because like there is, I imagine tons of people who don't necessarily have the wherewithal to go through and like talk to the EFF to like get a lawyer to really fight this kind well, of stuff, or, or the money, like, or the money for that matter, or the time like, have just gotten fucked over by stuff like this over and over again. Like, and I'll be, I'll be, I'll say, I'll be, I'll be completely forthright. Like, getting the lawyer gave me a deal. It cost me a thousand dollars. Right. And that's no, not a small amount of money for a, most people. I, I'm lucky I can afford that. You know, I'm I'm privileged yeah. and, for, and fortunate in my situation in life that I can I can afford that. Most people can't. But my 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 point in telling the story isn't just to brag, although it's a little bit. Um, if this happens to you, anybody listening, if if you get a, a copyright strike, don't don't let them win because you'll win. Because unless you are like a full on pirate. Yeah, unless you're doing something really blatant and really like just indefensible. Well, if you're just uploading full movies to YouTube, like dude, fuck off. Um, yeah. But like, if you're putting a, a clip on YouTube and you get in trouble for it, or if there's a background song in one of your videos that like you filmed outside and you get in trouble for it, like fight, you'll win because it's not worth their money to keep fighting it. And yeah. also, there's no when people say, "Oh, YouTube has to do this," they have to do this. No, they don't. There's no law. That said, YouTube had to ban me for this. And it's their policy because almost YouTube does it because it's easier than trying to sort out what is actually happening there. Yes, and there's no legal precedent for almost any of this. 
because it all gets solved before it goes to court. Yeah. So, you know, my, my lawyer did tell me when I wrote a big piece about this on Medium, and my lawyer said, this is good, but you are admitting to copyright infringement now. <laughs> uh, and so keep that in mind. It won't happen, but Warner could sue you. And I'm like, well, they won't, so fuck them. And because yeah. they got better things to do. Um, my main reason in writing that was to instruct people what to do when this happens. And also, that Michael Benkova guy, he can fuck off. This is what this guy does full time is just look for people who have stuff on YouTube and get it. He, there were like kids complaining about their YouTube channels being taken down because they put up video game for footage of the Ben 10 video game. Yeah. Because this guy. And, it's, and a YouTube ban is lifetime. So like yeah. if you're 12 years old, doesn't, that doesn't think it really matters that much. Let's make a new account. But like I'm a professional. I want stuff in my name. Like it was ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But anyway, sorry to go off on that. I think it's important that no, people look, know. This is, this is a tangent that I think is worth having. And look, I don't know anything about this bent cover guy, but all I know is that this is a truly soulless profession to be involved in. And to it sounds like this person has a real heavy hand when it comes to this stuff. Yes, he does. kind of unique one of a kind can you think of any other good can, would you recommend any other concert films off the top of your head oh oh geez i mean look it's, the ones a lot of the ones i like are some of the most obvious you know uh, stop making sense yeah. is a classic reason that is that is one of the greatest uh, of all time um i'm trying to think of like some other ones that are like maybe a little less well known i mean i mentioned the um the oingo boingo farewell concert mm-hmm uh, if you were into that band at all, like that is something you absolutely should watch. It's a it's a really killer live performance. Um, you know, I mean, look, like the last waltz. You know, like that's another great one. Um, fuck, I'm trying to think. Like, I I have a good one. Uh, yeah, there's a movie that's a little more obscure called Forty Bands, Eighty Minutes. Okay, which was made in the spirit of Irk, like intentionally, and yeah. it's L.A. underground. So, like, I haven't heard of most of these bands. I think the only band in there I know is is Health. Okay, Health. Is I know Health there. pretty well. Abe Vigoda. Um, okay. Uh, wives, gowns, been bands I've never heard of. Um, but it 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 is interesting movie because it is almost nonstop. Each band only has two minutes, and they will cut the mics. <laughs> right. So that's kind of like a by the seat of your pants type thing, for sure. Okay. Yeah. But for new wave yeah. stuff, yeah, new wave, that Oingo Boingo one, I want to check that out. And uh, Decline one, the both, the decline, the, the, both, the first two declines are incredible. Yes, um, like the, they're not really concert films; they're more just like music docs. But yeah. like they are, they are, they are, they do capture like some great music of the time, some really fascinating personalities. Like those two are great. The third one's interesting. I, I it's I a still different thing. Seen it. Yeah, it sounds depressing. It's very depressing. <laughs> I don't need that in my life right now. Uh, yeah, Decline 1. Decline 1 has fantastic footage of fear. Yes. Um, 
being pricks to the audience. Um, and Fear is a bunch of assholes. <laughs> hey, that hey, but that first album's good. <laughs> it is good. I, I'm not denying their talent. They just leaving's a real fucking asshole. Is he really that? I thought is that is that an act or is he really a prick? I don't I don't know for sure. I've never met the guy, but I've read stories about okay. him. Like like apparently when he was on the set of Clue, like no one liked him. So I I don't know. But, Kind of related to this, I, a movie I'd also recommend. It's not really a concert film. It's not a concert film at all, but it is about the same scene, and it has Lee Ving in it. Have you ever seen Dudes? I have never seen Dudes. Dudes has John Cryer, um, somebody I've never heard of, and Flea. <laughs> okay. As, as three New York punks who want to go to L.A., and in the middle of the desert, they get attacked by Lee Ving's gang. And they have to get revenge. It's a western that has so the op- it's a, it's a punk western. So it opens with the Vandals, Urban Cowboy, and it yeah. has uh, early like the first recorded appearance of Jane's Addiction doing an early version of Mountain Song and a lot of good late '80s punk. It's a good movie. It's by Penelope Spears, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. So I recommend and just thought- Sub- Suburbia also. Oh yeah, Suburbia is a great movie. Yeah, um, you... I thought of a couple of other ones just off the top of my okay. head here. Uh, Anvil, the story of Anvil, is oh, a really great feel-good <laughs> yeah, story that's a, that's about a uh, about a metal band. Uh, a band called Death is a really good one. That's a great movie and a great band. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, so there was one other one I was thinking of. It's on the tip of my tongue. What the fuck is it? Um, Dig. Oh yeah, Dig's amazing. Dig is amazing if you've never seen it. Uh, I I was actually a Brian Jonestown Massacre fan at one point, and uh, that movie is astounding in a lot of ways. I was a big Danny Warhol's fan at one point, so yeah, <laughs> I, I like. I'm, I'm I'm a bit more basic. Uh, Jonestown Massacre always kind of scared me, um, but yeah, understandably a, so. Yeah, that's a that's a great concert movie too. Also, yeah, good 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 poll there, but. Uh, and, few- uh, you know, Heavy Metal Parking Lot, which we mentioned earlier, you know, not a guess, as much about the music as it is the crowd, but it is one of the greatest short films ever made. Yes, it is. And also, we ha- we did not mention, if you want to watch Erg, um, you can find it. How? It- <laughs> here, here, really easy. And this is unrelated to me. I am not doing this. This is not my copy. Okay. You can find the whole thing on Vimeo. Um, okay. Well, you can find a DVD rip. If you want to watch the original VHS copy of Erg that has splogness abounds, although you really don't have to, trust me, um, that is on the Internet Archive. Okay. And so, yeah, it's out there. Bless Warner, the Internet Archive. Yes, Warner can can threaten legal action against my 4K copy all they want, but they have not done a lot to take down other copies. Like that, the, There's an entire playlist on YouTube for the movie. Uh, right. So yeah, it's out there. You can find it. And if you could buy the movie, buy it. But it, they don't you can't. <laughs> so you might be able to find a used copy somewhere, but you can Turner Classic Movies is still selling it. Which Okay. But I don't think they're making any more. Uh if they are, then someone to tell Scoffish. But anyway, <laughs> cuz he can he can go to town. But I think we'll give Jim Scoffish his goddamn money. Give Jim Scoffish his goddamn money so we can get a nose. I don't even out. like him. Just give him his money. Yes. I when I when I got this all sweated out, I bought his album on Bandcamp and I threw in an extra ten bucks as a thank you. <laughs> Just because Bless like, Bandcamp for being the only good music like platform it like, currently in existence. Yeah, yeah, totally. But anyway, Alex, where can people find you these days on the internet? 
Uh, these days, uh, myself and two of my former co-workers from Giant Bomb, we have a thing called Nextlander. Uh, it is nextlander.com. If you want to check it out, it is Patreon-supported. Uh, we have a weekly podcast. We do uh, live streams on Twitch. Uh, we are Nextlander pretty much everywhere that you would want to find that. You don't have to add any weird characters or numbers or anything. Uh, weirdly enough, not a name that was taken anywhere. So we lucked out on that one. It's a good name. I like it. And I, I support Nextlander on Patreon. I recommend it. The regular podcast is good. Your Ramblecast is good. Uh, Vinny's recent playthroughs of FOMOS and video games, always great. So, yep, we are currently working our way through Ripper, the Christopher Walken classic. And uh, boy, that is a real piece of work. <laughs> cannot cannot believe that is Burgess Meredith's last performance. That is what a performance it is. Oh, he, that scene's amazing. Anyway, uh, you can find me on the internet at LostTurntable.com, on Twitter at LostTurntable, and hey, on YouTube <laughs> at LostTurntable. I am actually using that now. Um, I am filming... Re- record stores in tokyo and reviewing them so if you're interested awesome. yes so if you're interested in a local um, viewpoint of the multitude of record stores in tokyo i i yo check my shit out and i also i'm also going to start doing videos of like re- weird and obscure releases i've accumulated over the years so if you want somebody to do a deep dive on the multitude of i don't know 1980s nintendo vinyl releases stay tuned <laughs> but kick ass anyway that's it I'll see you again in two weeks for another episode of Seminole Oblivia. Take care.